Hey friend, what would you say if I told you that you are in a wrestling match for your identity? External narrative that suggests this is how you should think, feel, and act. The external narrative we embrace unknowingly becomes our personal internal narrative, defining who we are and directing what we should do. So friend, welcome to the Move Your Heart podcast. I'm Val Brown, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming author and speaker Ashley Frazier to the podcast. Ashley has written a book called Taking Back the Narrative, and in our conversation with Ashley, we're going to identify the power of the external and internal narratives to effectively influence our lives without us even realizing it. So welcome, Ashley, to the broadcast. I'm really excited that you're here today. How are you Hi, doing? Iz. I'm so excited to be here. I'm doing oh, good. Well, Very excited good, to be here. Good. Good. Well, it's certainly a pleasure to have you. All right. So for our friends, I'm going to give a little bit of your, um, your background, and then we'll uh, talk a little bit about your personal story. So reading from the cover of Ashley's book, Taking Back the Narrative, and these are all my stickies. I don't know if you can see all of my stickies, but Ashley's book is pretty <laughs> amazing. I love it. I love it. But back to um, the introduction here. Ashley graduated in 2019 from Texas Tech University with a Bachelor of Science in Human Sciences and a Bachelor of Arts in Electronic Media and Communications. She then went to Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry from 2019 to 2022. She has worked in youth ministry since she graduated high school and has worked with Elam Fellowship and in college ministries. So, Ashley, we're really, really excited to learn a little bit more about you as a person and then also this amazing topic about narrative. Um, first of all, could you explain what do you mean when you say narrative and taking back the narrative? What is that that we should be taking back? Yeah, so really the um, inspiration for the title actually came from I had been writing the book for so long and I really didn't know like how to title it. Honestly, that was probably the hardest part. And then whenever I was just really thinking through it, um, the whole book is just about that we have so many stories being told around us, whether that's through television shows, through news media, through social media, all of those. We just have so many different narratives being given and pushed into our lives. And so just really taking back the narrative is about saying, like, taking back what is influencing your life, recognizing what's influencing your life, and really just kind of being able to take some power and control back over the stories that are being told all around us. Okay. Okay. What do you think about the, the idea of uh, most of us being in an identity crisis because of all this narrative that we mm. hear? It seems to me like there's so much insecurity about who we are. Mm. We're afraid to, to shake yeah. things up by saying what we really think. We're afraid to um, be who we really are because we think that that's going to offend somebody. So what do you think about that? Mm. Yeah, well, I think so much of it also has to do with that we, we do have all these distractions around us. And so we don't always have the opportunity to, or we don't always make the opportunities even, to actually get to know who we are. And because of the fact that we have, I mean, everybody's lives we can see at our fingertips. And so it's so easy to just jump into that comparison game and say, oh, well, this person does this better than I do. This person's prettier than I am. This person, you know, can bench more than I can. All of these different things. And so I think it's you know, to me, it just makes sense that so many of us are in an identity crisis because we just don't actually have the time to sit and reflect with who we are because we're so uncomfortable with silence. And then to fill that silence, we end up just comparing ourselves to everybody around us. And so it ends up to where we just don't actually really know who we are, or even like we try to look like the people we see on our TV screens instead of actually sitting down and saying like, all right, Lord, like who have you made me to be? And just being able to be confident in that. Okay, yeah. Well, it's pretty hard to be confident today because people really don't want us to step outside the social narrative. How, yeah. how do we do that um, <laughs> at the risk of offending people? 
Mm. I think uh, that's such a good question. And that's something that, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think that that's such a hard question. And it's something that I am still working on is just, you know, being able to be who I am and just walk in that in confidence. Um, I think for me, one of the things that I have really stepped into is that I think in our kind of culture, we, we really let these like fake realities kind of rule over our lives. And so I'm sure other people have experienced this, you know, where you're like, uh, laying in bed and all of a sudden you like start thinking about like a conversation you had. And then all of a sudden your thoughts spiral and all of a sudden you're like stressed about things that you're not even like that aren't even actually happening. And I think that so much of that actually hinders what we're supposed to do and hinders our confidence because we, we just live in our own minds of saying like, Oh, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? Um, and I think that the idea of having to like shake off what other people think of you is just the hardest thing, especially when all of our culture is kind of surrounded of what people think of you, how you present yourself. And so honestly, I think it's probably a lifelong kind of process that you have to go through is continuously asking yourself, like, how do I still step into who I am in an authentic, in an authentic way um, and still like live in the world, if that makes sense. Yeah, it really does. It really does. And it, the thing is, I, I think as adults, we are struggling with this. I don't know if it's even more than than the kids. Certainly, the kids are receiving a lot of narrative right now, but as adults, we struggle mm-hmm. with that. I think we're we're just like the uh, willow tree with the yeah. branches just uh, waving so easily swayed. So we need an anchor, don't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, we really do. So um, before we get into your book, I want to know and I want our audience to know a little bit about you. So tell us a little bit about uh, like where did you grow up and what did your younger years look like? Yeah, so I grew up in the great state of Texas. That's actually where I'm at right now. Um, I've lived in the same town for the majority of my life. I grew up in Lubbock, Texas. I went to school here. I graduated high school and went to the college that was in my hometown, Texas Tech University. Um, And I had two majors there. And while I was there, I was doing youth ministry and helping out with our youth group. And that's where I really felt the call into ministry because prior to that, my whole life, I had told the Lord, like, that's not for me. I'm not doing ministry. Just absolutely not. And then when I was in college, God was like, actually, like, that, that is what I want you to do. Um, And so I was in youth ministry. I was finishing up my college program when the Lord said, I want you to move to California to attend ministry school. So I did that. I was out there for two years doing ministry school, learning, just really broadening my horizons of what faith looks like, kind of challenging some of the perspectives that I grew up with. And then I moved to New York. The Lord called me to an internship with this girl named Jody Seidler, and um, she just rocked my world. She was absolutely amazing. And so I moved there, got to learn from some just really big giants what I would say in the Christian world who are really just living out the gospel and carrying the gospel to other nations and doing so many other things and so there I got to work with college students and also um, kind of plan some mission trips and conferences and then while I was there and while I was in school the Lord was putting on my heart that I needed to write a book and so that's where this whole book came out of was through ministry school and while I was in New York and at the end of my internship the Lord said move back to Texas that's where I want you to launch this book from And so in October, I released this book, and um, now I'm just, you know, living for whatever the Lord has for me each kind of day to day. Okay, wow. That sounds like a whirlwind. (laughs) It really does. And uh, how old are you now, (laughs) if you don't mind saying? Uh, I'm 25. Yeah, I'm 25. 25. You have a a lot wrapped up in those 25 (laughs) years, including being an author (laughs) and a speaker. That's fabulous. But uh, for our listeners who may not know what it's like to have a relationship with the Lord, can you take us back? How did you first come to know the Lord or have a personal relationship with him? Did you Mm. hear a message in church and and did you feel any kind of a draw? What did that all look like? Yeah, so I was raised in the church. I think the church that I'm currently still at, I started going to when I was like three or four years old, was raised in that environment with just some really amazing people. Um, And what I always tell people is that I just really don't remember a time in my life where the Lord wasn't a part of it um, because of just the way that I was raised, the people around me. I think I was seven when I accepted Christ and I got baptized on my eighth birthday. Um, And that was awesome. I got to be baptized with my mom and also my sister. 
and then I really have kind of just stayed with the faith and there's definitely been challenges that have come when I was in high school I was in a relationship that actually kind of spurred this this entire book I was in a relationship where I just made some questionable decisions things and kind of I would say I would say I never walked away from the faith but I would say that I just kind of forgot who God called me to be and so that was my biggest doubt was actually believing that God had called me loved and had called me chosen um, but then when I left that relationship and kind of started college I just had a renewed sense of who God was and just wanted to pursue his calling but yeah I would say that my entire life I've just kind of known who God was and what's funny to me now is that I really used to like look at my testimony and my story with the Lord and be like oh like that's just not super powerful and then I released this book and in the first chapter which I'm sure we'll talk about um I go through my testimony and I've had so many people who have reached out and been like oh I just see so much of my testimony in you I see so much of myself in you um but yeah the Lord has really just kept me all these years and I just think that's amazing yeah that really is amazing and I you do start off your book with um, a gal named Rachel, and we hear her story. But before we uh, visit Rachel, I still think that there might some be some questions in some of our listeners' minds. You know, they might be saying, no, th- Ashley seems like she really knows God, maybe on some sort of a personal level. Like, uh, how does somebody mm. get to know the God who created the universe? Uh, what do you mean you you know him and he called you and you did all these things? <laughs> hmm. What would you say to us? Um, so I would say that that is, yeah, that is and continues to be a lifelong journey for me of learning what it looks like to listen to the Lord. Um, I would say that when I went to ministry school, it really opened my eyes to the way the Lord speaks to me. And through that, I kind of got to see how God has spoken to me in the past because I think that sometimes we expect this like, audible voice that's like Ashley like this is what you're supposed to be doing um and so that's kind of what I always thought having a relation like a really good relationship with the Lord looked like and what I kind of started to learn was that one of the reasons I wouldn't hear from the Lord or would feel disconnected is because I really just didn't know how to be silent and so what I started doing was I would start every morning with worship because I always kind of got caught in this idea of like oh I have to do like my devotional and then my reading time and then xyz and like that's how I have a relationship with the Lord and like I'm not a morning person and in high school I was an athlete so I was up at four o'clock every morning and so I always just kind of felt like a bad Christian because I didn't do those things and when I was in college and uh, ministry schools when the Lord really spoke to me it was like this is a relationship like this isn't a checklist this is a relationship so in the same way that you talk to your mom the same way that you talk to your brother the same way you talk to your friends like that's what I want And so I would say that there's so much that I've just learned over the past few years and that I'm still learning about what it looks like to actually just live in full relationship with the Lord. And a lot of that for me was just kind of getting rid of what I expected a relationship to kind of have to look like and really just leaning into, okay, like this is how I feel close with the Lord. And so for a lot of that, for me, it's through worshiping through music. And so when I'm in my car, like that's where literally when I was driving over um, to my studio, I was just having this amazing worship session that I like pulled up. And then was like, I can't stop this. Like, I have to keep going. And so it's been moments like that where it's kind of taking away the norm of just being like, you know what? Who cares if it's weird? Who cares if it's not how other people connect? Like, this is how I connect with the Lord. Um, And so it's still a continuous process, but really just finding the way that I connect with him and just being okay with that and kind of letting go of what everyone else expected a close relationship to look like and just being like, no, like, this is my relationship. Um, And then just continuously kind of learning and relearning and being okay with being wrong sometimes I think was one of the biggest things I had to get rid of was to get closer to Christ I just had to be like okay you know what like sometimes I'm gonna be wrong sometimes I'm gonna mess up but when you feel that shame and guilt you're never gonna actually continue on in that relationship because you're stuck in that idea of shame wow wow so you as being someone who did get to know the Lord from a very young age you've had that advantage of having the the church Mm -hmm. family you were exposed to probably bible reading and definitely praise and worship and then also you begin to internalize that don't you and then you you um Mm -hmm. begin to allow the lord to lead you and shape you by what you're learning and it's a it's a growing experience isn't it Oh, absolutely. Always growing. And I think that's one thing you always have to remember is that you've always got to be growing. Otherwise, you just kind of get stagnant. Yeah, yeah. 
And you, you mentioned shame, and there's always guilt before shame comes in. And, and you know what? I believe 100% that every uh, sane, <laughs> sane human being, um, if you feel like, like you messed up or you, you didn't do something perfectly, there's this tendency mm -hmm. to feel guilt or shame or con condemn ourselves. Mm -hmm. It just seems to be something that we're programmed with when we want to do our best or when we get that external message of yep. you're not measuring up. And so how do you shake free from something like that, whether it's an external narrative or an internal narrative? Mm, so for me, I would say that that's still one that I struggle with a lot and one that I'm still learning with the Lord of how to really get rid of shame and guilt. But I was actually listening to a podcast yesterday where um, I don't even remember whose, whose it was, but they basically said that the difference between shame and conviction, because, you know, you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, like we're supposed to work on ourselves and get better. But a lot of us think that conviction feels like shame. And so what they said was that um, conviction says you messed up. Shame says you are a mess up. Um, and so I think just listening to that was just mind blowing for me because I was like, oh man, like that, that really is my thought process. A lot of times is that when I mess up or do something that I'm like, I am a screw up. I did this wrong. All of these things instead of, okay, like I messed this up and it's okay. Like you can, like the Lord is still going to convict because he wants us to grow and to be who he called us to be. But I think kind of having to switch that mindset to saying, okay, like I'm not a mess up, but that doesn't mean that sometimes I don't mess up. Um, and so that's been one that I've been trying to really implement into my own mind is saying, okay, like when you mess up, like, yeah, the Lord is going to convict you because of the relationship you have with him. But that doesn't mean that you yourself are a screw up. Wow. That's so important to distinguish that because when we, when we, um, yeah. let that soak in, it so damages us. It, it speaks something mm -hmm. that's so not true and it can really knock us, knock us pretty hard. When you said that, it kind of reminded yeah. me of what we've heard about the difference between conviction and condemnation. And I always go back to mm. whenever it's yeah. the Lord or even our conscience convicting us, then we're drawn toward coming out and toward the solution. And in, in the Christian context, it's God draws us. And condemnation wants you to shrink yeah. back and to say, like you were saying, you're the screw up, you're the mess up. So that's the difference mm -hmm. between something yeah. that is helpful and something that's very, very destructive. So wouldn't that be an example of internal narrative? Talk to us about that. Oh, definitely. I think that our internal narratives um, are something that we have to pay so much attention to. And there's obviously like external things that impact your internal narrative. Um, but one of the things that I've been learning a lot is um, you know, scripture tells us to take every thought captive. And I have noticed in my life when I do take every thought captive, that is when I really am thriving. That's when I, you know, stop the anxious thoughts, thought, stop the um, imagination of what could go wrong, all these different things. But really, like, our minds are just constantly going and going and going. And so I think that one of the most important things we can do is kind of attempt to fix our internal narrative to where it's not just the external things in our lives that impact our internal narrative, but it's actually, like, Christ-driven things impacting the way that we think, the way that we interact with people, um, and really just our, I would say, our thought life in general. Yeah, that's so powerful, isn't it? What we think, we, we, yeah. we're not taught. If somebody would have just taught us the power of our thoughts, our thoughts um, then become mm -hmm. our emotions. You know, there's always a, an emotion connected to a thought, whether it's, okay, you get excited about that thought, or you get frightened by that thought, or you're mm -hmm. shamed by that thought, or you're condemned by that thought, or you're inspired by that thought. The emotions always follow, or you're, um, you're led to do better, mm -hmm. you're led toward your goal, or you're, you shrink back from your goal because you feel like you can't do it. And then th that emotion then becomes in some sort of action or inaction, doesn't it? <laughs> so powerful. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Well, let's talk about something from your book. And, and I feel like you said you, we have so many messages around us. And you have uh, a chapter, it's actually chapter two in your book called The Golden Media. 
and uh, media, you know, it's, it's, it's in our hands, it's, it's uh, you know, all around us. You can hardly avoid receiving messages through media. And uh, like you were talking about the power of our thoughts, it's almost like we don't have a gatekeeper unless, unless we've come to realize how important our thoughts and guarding our thoughts are, like you were just speaking to us about. So, so many of us just, um, just let that media, whatever it is, just soak in, and then that becomes the influence mm -hmm. that, that drives us. So talk to us a little bit about the golden media. Yeah, so the golden media, that chapter is all based around the story of the Israelites when Moses goes up. Is that? Yeah. Um, when the Israelites are left, and so they... Um, yeah, so they're waiting for Moses to come back down with the Ten Commandments. And while he's gone, the Israelites were like, we're tired of waiting. We would like to build a different altar. And so they grow impatient. And so they build a different altar. And so God on the mountain is like, your people have messed up. And so I'm basically going to get rid of them. And so Moses is like, no, no, no. Like, let me talk to them. Let's give them another chance. So he comes back down the mountain. Um, and basically God splits the group up into people who want to worship God and people who don't. Um, and so he ends up killing the people who don't and the others are welcome to stay. But when I, you know, when I used to read that passage, I would always think like, man, like these people are just so dumb. Like, how could you just move past so quickly all the things that God has done for you? You know, like he saved you from the Egyptians. He, um, has literally like rained food from the sky, like all of these different things. Um, and I never really knew how that actually related into my life. And so that chapter is relating it. How does that actually impact us? Because I think that one of the things that we always kind of get caught in is, you know, the Israelites had to make sacrifices to God. And so in our heads, we're like, well, we don't really do sacrifices. And so I think sometimes we just kind of overrule that. And so in this chapter, I break down like in our lives, like we do have things that we sacrifice because you were supposed to sacrifice the things that were most important to you. And so, um, in our time, I would say that that is time and money. And so I kind of break down, you know, what is it that we sacrifice a lot of time and money to? And so that would be, you know, Netflix, um, HBO, social media, all of these different things that we end up sacrificing our times to and our time and money to. And it, I think causes it to become an idol because in the story where they build the golden calf, the golden calf wasn't actually a problem. Like I could have a golden calf just like sitting on my desk and that's not the issue. The issue is the way that they saw it. And so, um, this whole book really is talking about that. I don't think that television shows in themselves are the issue. It's the way that we treat them and the way that we give all of our time, all of our money to, you know, I've been personally convicted of this, of, you know, I'd spend a certain amount of money on subscriptions each month. But if like the Lord asked me to spend the same amount to like tithe or to give to the church, then I'm kind of like, Oh, I don't know. Like that's a lot of money, but it's an amount that I, I spend regularly on those things. Um, and then also in that chapter, um, I talk about that one of the main reasons that, the Israelites missed the move of God is because they grew impatient. And so they got so impatient and they forgot to actually look at what God had already done. And so it kind of made them lose hope for what he was going to do in the future. And so they grew impatient and that's why they ended up building this idol. And I think that so many of us fall into this because we, you know, can see God move, but then if it's not in the timing that we want for the next move, then we're like, Oh, you know what? I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of doing all these things. And we end up trying to fill the void or fix our own problems with television or worldly things. Um, and so really that whole chapter is just a breakdown of how does the story of the Israelites building the golden calf represent our lives and how does it actually impact the way that we um, interact with God. And so I think it really just comes down to, you know, what are you actually sacrificing? What are you sacrificing your time, your money for? And then we just lose our patience so easily and we end up turning to these worldly things. Right, right. Yeah, the media definitely does consume a lot of our time. But you talked about a void and how we cram things into our void. I know sometimes when I feel like, oh, I just need something. And it's like, oh, I need chocolate. Or I just got done eating. What do I want now? Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, I don't know. It's just that the, uh, the flesh, our, our desires, or how we go from one thing to the other and do I need that? No, I don't need it, but I'm just, there's just this, this unfulfillment in there. And isn't it actually that, mm. like you said, we, we're, we're not comfortable with quiet. We're not comfortable with 
just Mm -hmm. being sometimes it's like do 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 or what's next what's next Mm -hmm. what do you think yeah I mean I I think that we we really just hate the silence and so I when I was in ministry school I'd hear all these stories of people from like the 1800s who would literally have like prayer meetings for like 30 hours a week um which I think is awesome because like the Asbury revival is going on right now and so they have been worshiping for like a week straight and so now like seeing something like that I'm like man that's what it looks like to actually not fill your void with something else because I think so often we will sit there and we say a prayer and we're like god like I want to see you move I want to see um your power I want to see healing I want to see all these miracles and then we end up getting like we say amen and then we get on tiktok and start watching our phones or we get on instagram or we start watching our netflix shows because I think it we just have so many distractions that we can just you know use to not actually have to process what's going on in our lives and so you know if I'm feeling sad or something instead of saying all right lord like help me process this sadness I want to give this to you I say okay I'm sad so I'm going to watch this tv show that makes me happy but it really like it's just such a temporary fix and so what I like to say is it's like putting on a band-aid where something needs stitches because we're like oh no like this will do for now and then we end up continuously feeling that and we're like why do I always feel this way like god why aren't you helping me and I honestly sometimes feel like god's like I would help you if you would give me more than your 30 second nighttime prayer yeah yeah that um that kind of takes me to chapter three of your book it's called the outside in and there you talked about being a person who really didn't feel your emotions for a time period in your life Mm -hmm. and how you know what I think mostly we really are people like that we don't stop and check in with ourselves like how are, how are you feeling and, and mm-hmm. then the next thing begs to say well what am I going to do with that like you said often we go to that distraction like the veg out on the tv or scroll mindlessly mm-hmm. through our phones but uh, don't you think that we have to feel our emotions and we have to check in with how we're doing mm-hmm. what would you say to the importance of that and in the context of God, if we go to God with how we're, we're feeling, how can that help us? Yeah, so chapter three is probably, I would say, my, it was probably the hardest chapter for me to write. And it's the one chapter that every time I go back to and, like, reread it, like, I just cry every time. Because I did, kind of growing up, I just didn't think my emotions were as important as everyone else's. And I would say that part of that is just because of my personality. Like, I just kind of move past things quickly. Um, or, you know, if one of my like siblings was sad, like I would be mad. And so that kind of just, I think like being sad kind of trumps that other emotion. And because I think that we've just kind of put different weight on different emotions. And so I kind of growing up and still today, like I still struggle with this. If I will always just be like, Oh, like my emotions aren't as important as the people around me because of the fact that they feel it deeper or do all these things. And so I would say, especially growing up, like I just kind of could move past things. I could really separate really well. But then as I got older and started actually like feeling things a little deeper and um, experiencing these different emotions, I was like, I can't express these because I'm afraid of how it would make other people feel. And so I would just internalize it or pretend like it didn't exist. And that led to a lot of anxiety and a lot of just all of these other issues of feeling like alone and just kind of not really knowing what to do. And so then the Lord started really showing me the importance that emotions have because I was kind of like oh like I just have to be happy all the time because that makes other people happy and also if I'm not happy then that means that I'm not trusting God and just all these different things and so I would try so hard to be happy that I would ignore all of these other emotions that were going on inside of me Um, and then there was one day where I was um, it was about a year after COVID hit I was in California my whole family was at home and I was just so frustrated because I was like Lord like I'm in California I am so far away from my family. I'm so lonely. I'm so sad, like all these different things. Um, but then I would always end prayers with, like that with like, but I know you have it, like, and wouldn't actually put any work or like effort into trying yeah. to not feel that way. And one day while I was laying in bed, the Lord just said to me, hey, like, you know, I'm not afraid of your emotions, right? And so in that moment, I was just like, all right, like, here it is. Like, I am so frustrated. I'm sad. I'm doubting what your plan is. I just don't think that maybe I heard right or... I don't know, all of these different things. And at some point in the night, like I fell asleep and I woke up and I was like, I'm going to feel so convicted. Like I'm going to feel so much anger from the Lord. And I ended up feeling this just 
comfort that I had never felt before because I just never opened up to the Lord like that. Because I think sometimes we even keep our emotions away from others, but also from God, because I, I do think so many of us fall into this idea of, oh, if I'm not happy, if I'm not joyful, then that means that I'm not actually trusting what God has for me. And I think that if we look in scripture, like you don't see that at all. Like in the Psalms, you see David literally having like anxiety attacks and like emotions just all over the place. And so what ended up happening was I, I started this journey with the Lord where he was like, I want to be in a full relationship with you. And so he always brings me back to my parents' marriage because they've been married for over 30 years now. And he was like, when your mom is upset about something, she doesn't hide it from your, from your dad. Like she tells him about it because otherwise all of these like hate and anger and regret will build up. And basically the Lord was like, I want that relationship with you as well, because I created all of your emotions for a reason. Because I, I think that if God had just wanted us to be happy, that's the only emotion that he would have created. And I think that by experiencing and letting in these other emotions like anger, sadness, worry, that actually opens us up to other parts of who God is. And so that's really what I've experienced through kind of navigating my emotions is finding new aspects of who God is and also getting these new ideas of what friendship looks like, being able to just really build foundational, like biblical friendships because of the fact that, you know, you have to open up and vulnerability, I think, builds friendships. But I think so many of us are so afraid to be vulnerable. And so we end up wanting these relationships, but then we're scared to be vulnerable. And so we never end up actually having those. But I think it's so important, like God made emotions and like everything that he made, it's perfect. And he created it for a reason. And I think that so many of us try to push certain emotions to the side. And I think that's where we end up seeing so many people struggling with anxiety, depression, um, even like toxic positivity, just so many different things because we don't recognize that emotions are supposed to play a role in our lives. And so like, I know that I kind of growing up, I would hear a lot of other women talk about like, oh, you know, like you have to control your emotions and all these things. And they would talk about how they just couldn't like in some circumstances, like their emotions just ran wild and I was always like oh I can't relate to this like that's not me at all like I have control over not control I what I thought at the time was control but I was like I don't even recognize emotions and so I created this seminar actually for a middle school camp where I was basically just like hey like your emotions matter and these are what they like play into in each of your lives and I remember just seeing so many students being so profoundly impacted and I was so confused because I was like this isn't like in my head, I was like, this isn't like the most emotional thing, but I literally have students like crying, leaving the seminar. And I was talking to one of my best friends that one of the nights after I gave that seminar and, um, one of the, there was this girl who had been crying like the whole time I gave this emotion seminar. And, um, I was talking to him and I was like, why was she like, why was she crying? And he was like, what she told me is that that was the first time that somebody in the church told her that her emotions matter. And I like literally just lost it. Like I am about to cry just thinking about it because I, I think there's so many of us who grow up in the church thinking like, I can't have emotions because like they're not biblical or like you can't build your foundation off of that. And so we end up pushing away this part that God created for us instead of living into what he gave us and actually just being like, this is how God created me. And so no, I'm not going to let my emotions control like every action, but also like we have to recognize that they were given to us for a reason. Oh, so true. Don't you find that you feel much healthier when you can be genuine rather mm -hmm. than trying to mask or um, <laughs> have that fear of rejection from people? Oh, absolutely. And like I said, like this is still a journey for me because that has been my lifestyle for so long is to just say like, I'm going to keep it all in and I'm going to do it all on my own. Um, and even like after I released this book, like there were so many things that I was struggling with and the Lord was like, Hey, like he all the time is like, I want you to go read that third chapter because like you need to read what's in that. Um, and so that I would say is the most, like for me, like the Lord just wrote that because there's so many things that I read and I'm like, Oh man, like I'm still struggling with this. And it's just a con the Lord just constantly reminds me of it of, Hey, like you can be vulnerable and he'll even bring up moments of he's like, have you ever been vulnerable where it just didn't work out? And I'm like, not really, like, any time that I think about it, I'm like, no, those were all things you made up in your head that were going to happen that didn't actually happen. Um, okay. And so, yeah, but I, I noticed a huge difference in my friendships just being able to be real with them. Mm -hmm. Speaking about friendships, do you think that it's healthy for us if maybe we have that small group of one, two, three, mm -hmm. those ones that you can be completely you 
and you can invite them to be pe- completely them mm-hmm. and be accepting of one another and not try to change each other, fix each other, or reject somebody <laughs> because they're they're feeling a certain emotion or they're acting a certain way. Do you think that's healthy? Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely healthy to have your kind of core group of friends. I think one of the things that we see a lot is I think that we kind of idolize this idea of like being the most popular person and I can tell you that the times in my life where I had the most friends I felt the most alone and so now I'd say that I have this just absolutely rock solid friend group who like I mean we're we're super sarcastic and so we're not always like super emotional but um we do have that friendship where we kind of come together like we go to church together we talk about important things um and so I, I do, I think it's so important. And I think so many of us kind of miss out on that because of the fact that we're not willing to be vulnerable or because we feel like we need to have, you know, X amount of friends. But really, I think that with, you know, when you look at Jesus's life where he had the three disciples that he kind of poured into more than some of the others, that I think that that's just proof to us that like we're not supposed to have, you know, thousands of close friends, because if you have thousands of close friends, then nobody actually knows you. <coughs> Such a good point. Such a good point. I love that. Okay. So for the uh, for the young person, the young person that feels like he or she doesn't fit in, maybe that person hasn't opened up to somebody. I'm just wondering how much might we encourage that person to open up at least to one person and be honest there. Hmm. I mean, how does a person come out of their being an introvert, for example? And I know in your book, you talk about the difference between an introvert and an extrovert, and I marked it in there, and I, s- I said, this is so good. <laughs> I don't know if you can uh, talk about that from memory. <laughs> what would you say about uh, that introvert person? Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I actually, introverts and extroverts are one of my favorite things to talk about, but they're also one of my biggest pet peeves because sometimes people will say, like, an extrovert is just the most outgoing person or... Um, you know, the loudest person in the room. Um, but it's really where you get your energy from. And so like, for me, I Mm. would consider myself an extrovert, but like, I wouldn't consider myself the most loud or outgoing person that walks into a room, but I do get energy from being around people and an introvert gets their energy, you know, from being alone. Um, and so that's a distinction I always like to make because I do think that we sometimes kind of mix those up with being like, Oh, introverts are just naturally shy. Um, but like, I would say, I'm sorry, remind me of the question. I, my brain went on a tangent. Well, that young person who is the introvert and really hasn't reached out to mm, anybody. Yes. And then it just it took me to that awesome <laughs> definition that I, that I remembered in your book. It's just so amazing. So that, uh, that person that I'm talking about really probably is the one that likes to spend time in the room, maybe doesn't socialize, Uh, maybe doesn't only read, but just doesn't connect with anybody. So you talk about it in the way Mm -hmm. of getting energy. Well, books and media and all of that, that's not really getting your life energy, nothing that really pours Mm -hmm. truly into us. So what would you say to that, even that adult woman or young person that's been living Mm -hmm. the the lifestyle of of, uh, being secluded? I mean, we all need to be plugged in, don't we? So how do you go yep. from being the person yep. who doesn't feel like they, who feels like they don't fit and maybe calls himself an introvert? How do we get that person to trust that getting plugged in, even with just one person, would be safe and beneficial? Yeah, I think that what I would do is just encourage them of like, man, being the first person to step out and take that bold step of vulnerability like it it's such a bold move and it is hard and um again like it's still one that I struggle with um but like it's so worth it and so I think that sometimes we just kind of overcomplicate these things in my head and um so what I've started doing is I I work out in my head like what is the actual worst case scenario of a situation like if I tell somebody about something that's going on in my life like the actual worst case is that they're like okay no like I don't really care that much about that. And then we both just go on with our lives, which does suck. But also I think that sometimes we work it up in our heads of we're like, well, if I open up and then they don't accept it or something bad happens, we're like, well, then that's just like the end of everything. Um, and so we kind of over, <laughs> we give it a little bit too much power, but it like, it is, it's such a bold step. Um, but 
I would say that there has never been a moment in my life where I was actually opened up and was bold and was vulnerable with somebody that it backfired. Most of the time what would happen is I would talk to one of my friends about something going on and they'd be like, man, that's been something I've been struggling with for years. I talk in one of the chapters that my my best friend and my now roommate and I, we've been friends since I was in high school. And I would say that like we would have both considered ourselves like very high on our friendship list, but we were never super vulnerable with each other. And then there was one night where it just kind of switched that I was like, hey, I've got to tell you about this stuff that's going on because I'm struggling with it and all these things. And she was just like, yeah, you know what? I have struggled with all those things and I felt so alone in these. And so I think that just an encouragement of like when you're vulnerable, you open up the door for other people to also be vulnerable. And yeah, it sucks to have to be the first person to do it. But I promise you, like, it's so worth it. And I think that sometimes we kind of in our head are like, no, like I, I try all the time and I do all these things and just nobody cares. Um, and I, I really lived in that life for so long until the Lord one day was like, people can't help you with stuff if you don't actually ask them for help. Like they don't just have some magical sixth sense to know like, oh, Ashley's struggling. Um, and so one of the things I talk about in the book is that, you know, we get asked how we're doing on like a daily basis. And I'm not saying that everybody who like comes up to you and asks you how you're doing, like you shouldn't just like trauma dump and tell them everything in your life. But like, we do have those close friends who I've started to try to, whenever I am struggling, if somebody's like, Hey, how are you doing? Then I'll just be like, Hey, honestly, like it's been a like pretty rough day. And sometimes that's just the end of the conversation is just them being like, okay, cool. Like I'll pray for you. Like I'll pray that it gets better. Like, do you need to talk about it? Um, but it really is, I think it's so easy for us to push blame to everybody else why we don't have close friendships or why we're not vulnerable, but really, like, I think that at some point we kind of have to take accountability for, man, like, I haven't actually put out that effort, and I, I do recognize that there will be people out there who are like, I have been vulnerable, and it has backfired, and I just want to say, like, I just think that there, those are the rare cases, and that you should like try that step again but with somebody that you just really really trust to just open up about the things going on in your life but it is like it's a bold step and it's hard but I promise you that it is so worth it Mm -hmm. yes it is I think we've all been in those those two situations where it's been really really good and then another one where even in a church situation maybe somebody slaps a a scripture on you like what do you mean you're anxious you know, aren't you trusting God or just yeah. where's your faith? Just have faith. And, you know, we've uh, we've heard that in the church and that yeah. doesn't help anybody, does it? No, nope. I think that's where we fail. Yeah, and I, I think that I'm glad you mentioned that because, yeah, I one of the things that I also talk about is that I think that as a church community, we don't always do a great job at actually helping people through what they're going through. And so, like, I personally think that the phrase, like, hey, don't worry, like, God's got it, has kind of become a cop-out for some of us to not actually help people through what they're going through, because it is hard, like, it's hard to be in good community, because you do have, like, but, like, oh, man, I just know now where I'm at, like, if my friend comes to me, like, the thing I want more than anything is to help walk them through that, but I think so often we'll go to a small group, or we'll go to somebody and tell them what's going on, and they're like, okay, just pray for it, when in reality, what we're called to do is to help them, it's not just for us to give them like verbal affirmation like we're supposed to be communities who walk together and um I think that you know for me like I've known my whole life like God's got it and there's been so many moments where people will just say that to me and I'm like I know God's got it but like can you please walk with me through this and I think that that really is where friendships grow is whenever you are like hey I'm gonna do the nitty-gritty like even if you don't know what to say even if you're like this is so out of my comfort zone like that's what God is for, you know, like, we're ordinary, but God is the the extra in our extraordinary, and so I think that sometimes it's because we're like, oh, I want to be the person who fixes you, instead of saying, hey, God, like, can use me, and so I'm going to rely on God to help you through what you're going through. Wow, what you just said is so amazing. Um, I'm leading and also a participant in a codependency group, and somebody who is codependent, when you see somebody in a situation where they're not doing well, one of the things that a codependent will do out of their own brokenness or insecurities or whatever, you want to fix somebody mm-hmm. because then it takes a, the uh, focus off you and then you feel like, oh, I can help you, I can help you. But but what you just said is mm-hmm. so true. We, we don't want that quick answer. We don't want that quick fix. We don't want to hear necessarily, mm-hmm. oh, this is what I did. You need to do this. Because that's, that's not the right answer, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, we we just need yeah, to be. I, I think that it's. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was just gonna say I think that that's, you know, I I think in our culture we've kind of trained ourselves to like, oh, like you're gonna tell me a problem and I'm gonna tell you like how I've experienced that problem, and I I do think that there is a, times for that, you know, where I'm like, hey, I've experienced this and so I'm gonna help you through it, but I think that we are always kind of so quick to be like, oh, I want to turn this attention back to me so that like I can either get help or whatever instead of actually saying like we're actually just going to work on you and what you're going through right now. Yes. Yeah, sometimes people just need that ear, you know, somebody to just sit down with them, mm-hmm. just just enter into that that emotion with them or into that space with them and and say things like I understand or how can I help? It, it's such a, a difference, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It doesn't kind of affirm that narrative on the yeah. inside that says, I'm hurting or this is how I'm feeling. And then it just opens up, yeah. I don't know, just this this space for whatever we say next to go on in there and actually be s- mm-hmm. a touch that helps rather than hinders and doesn't drive the person away but makes them want yeah. to to come in and yeah. maybe share even a little bit more of their story. Yeah. Absolutely. Relationships are powerful, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's see here. So tell us what you're doing these days. So we know you're back down mm-hmm. in Texas. What are you doing in Texas these mm-hmm. days? Um, so right now I'm definitely in a waiting period for the Lord. I was actually telling somebody the other day that, you know, waiting periods I think are the hardest things for us to be um, faithful in um, because I was yeah. talking to one of my mentors and I was like, yeah, the Lord like has told me to move to California and I did it without like blinking an eye and I moved to New York without like second question. Um, and then it was a couple weeks ago that I was talking to one of my mentors and she was like, oh, I hope you just never lose that like aspect to, to just be willing to do what God does, like is asking you to at the drop of a hat. And I was like, yeah. And I went to the Lord after and I was like, oh man, like Lord, like I'm ready. Like send me wherever you want. Like I'll go to Australia. I'll go to like the UK. I'll move anywhere in the US, whatever. And the Lord basically was like, okay, yes, you'll do all that. But like, will you trust me in the waiting? Um, and so I would say that that's where I'm at right now is just kind of waiting for the Lord. And so I have some things that I'm doing. Um, I'm actually probably going to start a podcast in the next couple of weeks. It just goes through Excellent. each um, chapter of the book and kind of breaks it down with other people. Um, but then, yeah, I'm kind of just waiting on the Lord and trusting in his plans. And so like one of the things that I'm doing to kind of keep busy because, you know, an idle mind is, I would say the devil's playground. Um, and uh-huh. so like every week I have been writing like a new, I've been asking people for topics for stuff to write on. And so I've been researching just different things that people will give me and we'll kind of write a paper on it to just keep learning with what the Lord has. Um, but definitely like in a season of just kind of waiting for the Lord to show me more clear steps. Um, but yeah, so that's <laughs> my life right now. Okay. Yeah. There is something to be said about that waiting. We really, we really don't like that. We want to go on to the next thing, especially mm-hmm. when you have a vision or you have a heart for something. <laughs> It's so hard to not run ahead, yeah. isn't it? And how often oh, have we all 100%. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the time. Yes, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's in, that's controlling the internal narrative, isn't it? Or or maybe even just feeding yes. that internal narrative. Be patient on the Lord mm-hmm. and you're you're um, guiding yourself through that waiting period. I'm sure by reaffirming some thoughts that that uh know this god does have big things good things just sit still listen you know Mm -hmm. still that's when we we get our direction isn't it oh absolutely and i know the biggest question i always have to ask myself is like will you still trust in the prophetic words and the things that you've like felt for your future like will you still trust that even when god has you in a waiting period and i would say that has been the most like um trial like time of my life is just being like all right like i'm going to continue to believe in what the Lord has said, even though I don't necessarily see how that path is going to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good, very good. Well, I have to say that there is just so much good in your book. Um, you know, we, we didn't have time to touch on hardly anything, but you talk about um, relationships and how we get our, our narrative in relationships and how that plays out in our lives. 
personal identity, um, drama. There was quite a quite a thing in drama there that I really, really liked. At the end of your book, you have this part four where you, you say, where do we go from here, the now what chapter, and a chapter where you speak specifically to the parents, uh, especially in some of these hard-to-talk-about things, and then the church, too, because the church mm-hmm. often finds it very difficult. Like, what do you say? What kind of narrative do you give to this young person who's, who's struggling? So um, I definitely recommend your book for, for your young age. I have to say that I was completely blown away. And these, these uh, stickies represent a lot. Like um, I have on page 154, star, so, so good, <laughs> is what I wrote. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, just, it's just really good, really, really good. So I highly recommend to our listeners, Ashley's book, Taking Back the Narrative. And how can they find your book? Where can they purchase it? Yeah, so it is available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And then if you are more of a kind of audiobook listener, you can also get it through Audible and iTunes. Oh, nice, nice. Okay. And what if they want to connect with you? Maybe they heard something in your story and they might want to learn a little bit more. And uh, how can they connect? Yeah, so on the back of my book, there's a website. It's Ashley Frazier Ministries. Um, Ashley is spelled A-S-H-L-E-E, and Frazier is spelled F-R-A-Z-I-E-R. And if you go on there, there's a little contact form, so you can reach out to me um, for my email. I think it also has my phone number and stuff on there. Um, or, like, on any social media, you know, I respond to everybody. And so, yeah, if you want to talk to me, like, I love having conversations with people. And so you can find me on that website or through any social media. Okay. Excellent, excellent. Well, you certainly have a lot of good things to say, and I know there's going to be a lot bigger things uh, coming out of out of your life. I know that. So, uh, closing words for our listeners. So, what if there is like muddied up internal narrative that maybe has been shaped by circumstance or just um, narrative maybe of a bad circumstance, and they put themselves down rather than seeing the circumstance and working through the circumstance? Mm -hmm. Or what if it's somebody who has believed that a love story should go a certain way and it's not worked out that way? What would you say about the external narrative not being the the influencer in our lives? How how do we as Mm -hmm. individuals maintain a good internal narrative? What would you say? So I would say the biggest thing, and um, what I would say the biggest thing that I prayed for with this book is that, you know, none of it is to say, like, this is definitive things, but it's all to say, like, are we actually thinking about what is going into us on a daily basis? And so I would say my biggest, biggest, biggest thing that I would tell people is, like, just be thinking about what's going on, thinking about what's going into your brain instead of just, like, mindlessly watching it, but actually giving it thought. And I think so much of our culture, like, they always want to tell us, what to think and not necessarily how to think and I think the biggest thing for me is training myself how to think through things how to you know even though sometimes you're like oh like it is like harder it's so much easier to just want to watch a tv show and not think about it at all but the truth is is that like these things are impacting us and so I would say more than anything like we just have to be willing to actually think through what's going into us and so that's what I would say is to just be self-reflective because everybody's story is so different Um, And so I know that most people reading this, like, there will be parts that you can relate to. Um, Very few people will be like, every single word you said, like, that's that's just my story. Um, But, like, we have to just be willing to actually think outside of what's comfortable for us and think outside of what is the easiest option, but actually think through, like, what is healthy and actually focusing back on, okay, like, for me, I know one of the biggest shifts that I had to take was um, actually recognizing that I would always be like, you know, I don't have time to like read scripture or do all these things. And then I would look at the breakdown of how much time I'd watch television and I'd be like, Oh, I, I definitely do. And so one of the things I had to start doing was actually going and saying, okay, for the amount of time that I'm going to watch television, I'm also going to be in scripture because that is the narrative I want based like, um, shaping my life is God's narrative. And so I think that that's the biggest thing is we have to be willing to kind of take those hard steps And really, I would say this inconvenient step of saying, like, all right, like, I'm going to take what's 
easy and kind of throw it to the side and say, God, I'm going to pursue what you have and actually put effort into saying, who have you created me to be instead of just saying like, oh, that's kind of a hard thought. So I'm just going to go watch television. Um, so I'd say just kind of balancing out what you're putting in from the world with what God says and kind of putting in that time and effort for scripture and for worship and for all of those different things. But yeah, I'd say more than anything, like just starting to think through and kind of analyzing what your life looks like and how certain things from television shows, movies, social media, how it's kind of impacted who you are just as a person. That's really good advice. Really good advice. Well, let's, uh, let's put this in the context of somebody getting to know God. Not everybody knows how to connect with God. So if somebody doesn't even know if God wants to hear from them, <laughs> uh, doesn't know if, if God would become involved in their lives, I just remember whenever mm. I was, uh, oh, probably 17, and I had walked away from the Lord, and I wasn't sure if he would take me back, but then I prayed that he would take me back, and he did, mm. and he actually put somebody in my life. And it was, it was just... Um, hearing this person talking about how God was so very real in their life. And you've described that, too. You've talked about mm -hmm. how the Lord uh, speaks to you, guides you, um, helps you to, to uh, I don't know, just conduct yourself in a way that the external is not your guiding light, for example. So for that person who doesn't even know where to begin with God, what would you say? Um, so I'd say a couple of things. One of the things that I, I didn't talk about as much from my testimony is when I was in high school, I was in this just really crappy relationship. And one of the things that ended up happening is we slept together and kind of growing up in the Bible belt and everything like that. And my head was like the worst thing that you could do was to give away like your purity and kind of growing up in purity culture. That that's the mindset I had. And so I remember staying in that relationship because I was like, oh, like God's got to be so mad at me. Like he can't even want to be around me like there's no way that he still loves me and I remember there was this day where I was um driving to have a conversation with this guy because he wanted to take a break um and I was like I don't want to because that feels like something that's not really like that makes me feel like I'm not worth it and while I was driving in my car the Lord just said hey like why don't you remember that you're worth something mm -hmm. and that moment I was just like oh like God still has so much love for me um, and it was, you know, over the process of years of still kind of having to come to terms with like God's forgiveness and understanding his love. But I promise you that like, it's still there and it doesn't matter like what you've done. Like God still wants that relationship with you. Like there's literally nothing you can do to separate him from, um, that love. Like you cannot get away from it. And then I would also say in order to like connect with the Lord, I would say like just trial and error. Like when you do something, if you read like read scripture if that's not the 100 percent you're like this is what i connect most with like try something else go to worship um i know a lot of people who they love painting like that's where they find the lord people will go to like nature like be okay with like trial and error we don't have to know immediately like oh this is 100 percent what it is um but like just you know try different things try new things and i would say more than anything like just invite god into like everyday aspects of your world so, like when i wake up in the morning i'm like holy spirit like thank you for being here and just impact me today um and so yeah i would say just be okay like first of all know that like god still wants a relationship with you it doesn't matter what you've done but then just be okay with trying different things and asking the lord to come into those different things and kind of seeing how you relate and seeing how your relationship feels after each of those things so good what i find with the lord is that you just give him that invitation and he he just always shows up doesn't he mm -hmm. he just does and then you gave us all those different oh, avenues. It yep. doesn't have to be in a church or even in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just beginning that, yeah. that narrative. Well, Ashley, I have to say that this has been wonderful, and I feel like we could talk a whole lot more, and maybe we'll get a chance to do that. So I want to thank you and bless you in the name of the Lord, and may he continue to lead and guide and direct your steps and cause you to be the blessing that you are wherever you go. And be patient in the waiting. <laughs> yeah. So let's just go ahead and uh, and close this out. Would you mind saying a prayer for our listeners, both for those that know the Lord and those that don't know the Lord? Absolutely. 
Um, dear Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for this time where we get to come together to just talk about you, Lord, and to just talk about the things that you've done in my life. I know that in scripture you say the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so, God, I just pray that everyone listening to this would know that the things you've done in my life, you can do in theirs too, whether that's, you know, getting set free from watching television, um, if they're in a crappy relationship and need to find freedom from that, God, I know that what you've done in my life, you can do in theirs. And so I pray that everybody listening to this would just know that you are still the miracle working God and that you want a relationship with them. So I, Father, I just pray that anyone who's just feeling so unworthy or feeling like they're past the point of love would right now just know and feel your presence and know that God, that you love them so, so much. And Father, I just pray that as we continue on with our lives, that we would be able to recognize the things that are influencing us that are not of you and to be able to have the strength and the courage to, um, and even self-discipline to be able to step away from those things and into what you have from us. God, I thank you so much for Valerie and for just, um, the heart that she has and the encouragement that she's been to me. Um, I know that you're going to use her to bless so many people. And so Father, I pray that um, you would just continue to just use Valerie and the people listening to this podcast to just grow closer to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Wow. Thank you, sweet sister. I think you're pretty amazing. <laughs> you really are. <laughs> oh. You too. I, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, let's go ahead and uh, tell our friends that we trust that you've been empowered today to take back the narrative in your own life. And let me close with, don't be afraid to move your heart toward God. For when you do, he will move your life. Thank you for joining us today, Ashley. And thank you, friends, for joining us. Stay tuned for the next broadcast of Move My Heart. Thank you.